Welcome to Suburban Muse Podcast. AP and I are going to talk with you today about the movie The Goonies and whether it holds up and whether we would show it to our kids. Take a ride with me down the waterfront late at night. Then we'll finally be free to leave the day behind. Oh, won't you ride with me? The name of the podcast is Suburban Muse. I'm going to be referring to my co-host and life partner as AP, which stands for Apocalypse Partner. And I started calling him that because, well, we were surviving a global pandemic. And I'm going to refer to this lovely lady as Boo because, well, she's my Boo. And we're going to be pretty much talking about whatever we want, uh, starting, obviously, with movies that we remember as being awesome and figuring out if they've held up or not. What else are we going to talk about? We're going to see if those movies are, are as awesome as we remember through a, a modern lens. Uh, we may do um, albums that meant a lot to us. The occasional beer or alcohol review because we're adults. We may just drink all that beer while we're doing this. We can do whatever we want. We can do whatever we want because it's our podcast. But today we're going to start off by talking about the Goonies. So we're going to start off our very first podcast talking about The Goonies, which came out in 1985. Um, I had not seen it in in a while. Um, I was also four years old when this came out. How old were you, AP? Mm, I was 13 years old, my boo. Mm -hmm. Saw it in a theater that is now occupied by the Bass Pro Shop in St. Charles. All right. I don't have a memory of seeing this in a theater at all, but it was just, it was a movie that everybody already knew. It was a movie mm. that everybody had already seen by cultural the time. Knowledge. Yeah, it's just like a generic cultural knowledge. And my my sister is is older uh, than I am, so she she already knew of it. And I'm sure I'm sure she's the one that uh, introduced it to me. Um, but what struck me last night when we were watching this is that uh, one of the very first scenes that happens is all the kids are gathered at one house, and there's it's like a weird Rube Goldberg device to open up the front gate to the uh, mm. to the house itself. It's awesome. Yeah, and, and you remember more of the pieces in it than yeah. I do. There's It's a tribute to the game, Mousetrap. Yeah, for sure. But there's a chicken that lays an egg. There's a balloon. <laughs> oh, or, uh, there's, so, there's a boxing glove in there. And a a lot of ball. really silly things that, yeah. that happen. Um, and it, to me, it feels like the whole movie is like a giant Rube Goldberg device. Because when you get down underground and you pull a wire and then boulders fall from the ceiling. And that's, to me, I, and I mentioned to you that the, the whole movie felt like a giant Rube Goldberg device. And you said? Feels like a video game to me. Because that's how video games work is, you know, you go down a hallway and you figure out how to hit a, you know, hit a wire or touch a rock a certain way or what have you. It just very natural consequences. Pull a wire, <laughs> yeah. boulder falls from ceiling, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but speaking of natural consequences, another thing that happened in there that I giggled at kind of in a stupid manner was uh, when the fertility, fertilities, 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 fertilities is like, that's something else. That's something else. When the fertilities were, were busting one of the brothers out of prison, the other brother was pouring gasoline all over the ground and to light it on fire to, I don't know, wreak mayhem as they were leaving. He shot it with a handgun to make fire. Is that a thing? Would no. that? No. 
No, it, it looks cool on screen, but physics don't work out on that because I know how to make fire. See, there's a thing that tells me deep inside that this is something you may have tried at some point. There are from time to time things that I've tried to light on fire, yes. And that's all you got to say about that. No charges have been filed. Well, since we're recording, I don't want you to incriminate yourself because I would have to bail you out. No, you know? this is all good. Um, no. Very quickly, um, my friend Mike and I spent a lot of energy trying to replicate the flames behind the wheels of the DeLorean in Back to the Future, which came out the same summer as Goonies. And um, See, again, this raises more questions than it answers um, just about who you are as a person. So I'm learning a lot about our relationship through this podcast. So that's an interesting side note. It's beautiful. So uh, while AP and his friend Mike were uh, trying to recreate other 80s movies, um, <laughs> what I notice about a lot of 80s movies is the character actors. Um, and they're ones that we see now. To me, my first thought is, is this person still alive? Right. And <laughs> um, Googling this next one, the character actress of uh, Anne Ramsey, she was the she was Mama Fratelli. Is that her yeah. name? Mrs. Fratelli? I don't know what yeah. her name is. Mama. It's always Mama. Mama. Yeah. Um, she was also the Mama in... Throw Mama from the Train, which we may have to watch. I may have to put that on our list. And you say no, and we can argue about that. But <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Anne Ramsey uh, actually died in 1988. So not that long after The Goonies came out. Wow. All right. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, other things that probably should have died in the 80s is uh, the word corny. It was overused in this movie a lot. Just right. three times in the first, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, her, it, I love the term, but it's a situation and context-specific term. But they just threw it out. Maybe because it's a PG movie, they couldn't use F-bombs or sure. bad words. Corny was. Although they do say shit within the first, like, maybe five minutes. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, one character says it a lot, and that's. That's true. That's true. Um, what's, what's his name? Chunk. Which is a problematic uh, name by itself, but we can we can talk about like horrible stereotypes and that sort of thing in uh, a lot of these movies. Um, we can talk about a lot of that stuff. Um, we're going to take a really really quick break, and after that, I'm going to talk about some music references that are in the Goonies that are either inaccurate or silly or just plain annoying. Wrong. Here in this next segment, we're going to talk about some of the music that is in the Goonies. The soundtracks were starting to become a huge thing then. So we all know, probably peripherally, if anything else, the Cindy Lauper tune from the Goonies. But there's a lot of other classical music in there as well. And as it happens, Boo um, is a music educator and classically trained on her own. And um, there are a couple of things that stood out to you quite a bit. Quite a bit. Um... Probably the biggest one, my biggest pet peeve of it, of it all, truly, is when Andy is down in the pit, and well, they're all in the pit, but um, she's playing a bone piano or a bone organ or whatever the hell it was. I have yeah. no idea. And they have to, you know, she plays a wrong note and part of the floor falls or something like this. Yeah. Um, and the, the joke that she makes has bothered me since a rewatch of this movie in the 90s. Um, and it's where she says something like, it's an A sharp or a B flat. 
And then, you know, the reaction is if you, if you mess up this note, we'll all be flat. And it's so bothersome because A sharp and B flat are the same note. It's the same key. It's literally the same pitch. Now she would know whether it's an A sharp or it's a B flat because they are two different notes on the page. It's, you know, it's like two people named Ashley, but they spell it differently. It sure. sounds exactly the same, but it looks the same on the page. So that's super annoying. That's bothered me since the 90s when I watched this movie with a little bit more awareness. Um, which is a super nitpicky musician type thing. Um, the other music thing that goes on in here that's actually really interesting is one of the Fratelli brothers um, sings operatic arias every time he's doing some sort of mayhem or like torture or something. Yes, Robert Davi. Yeah, like he's, it, yeah, it's, it's super weird that that's, kind of the association that he has. And uh, some people think that it's just sort of gibberish or whatever, and it's not. It's Puccini. It's um, excerpts from Puccini's Madame Butterfly. There were two that I actually recognized, um, and the internet confirmed it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it is. he does sing um, excerpts from Madame Butterfly. <laughs> Is there anything thematic in Madame Butterfly that compares to Goonies? Not really. It's like a weird Easter egg kind of thing. Not really. Um, I mean, other than yeah. I other think, than some stereotypical characters in Madame Butterfly, but that's true of most opera. There's always crazy sure. crap going on. Um, but not really. Yeah. Um, I can't picture Richard Donner, who's produced a lot of movies <laughs> or directed a lot of movies similar to Goonies over the years, of him going, you know. We got this Rube Goldberg thing going on. <laughs> Let's throw in something really obscure for we the. We need some Puccini. That's what we need. Yeah. yeah. We need someone with like seventy-three master's degrees to appreciate this joke. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, um, those are the those are the big ones that stuck that stood out to me. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the Cindy Lauper song and and uh, maybe its role on the charts or in the soundtrack? Well, I think like prominence wise, um, like that was Goonies came out in June of eighty-five. And she's so unusual. The first Cindy Lauper record was two years before that. So that was still on MTV. And, and let's face it, she was a good television. You know, she had, you know, the bright hair and which was way out of place in the eighties, sure. you know, it was exotic. And um, I don't know how well the song charted, mm. but MTV played the video a lot because mm -hmm. it was filmed as I remember like on the set. Cindy Lauper's video was filmed on the set of the Goonies. Or like in the the end, where it was the pirate ship and oh, all sure. that? Yeah, huh? That's yeah. A, that was an interesting tidbit. I did not know that. It was, it was well. It was good marketing for the age. Yeah, no kidding. Really integrated and, and a fun song. Yeah, good uh, good marketing and a lot of really good decisions in terms of just casting and tie-ins and all that sort of stuff. One thing that we can't get away from, though, being an eighties movie, are the stereotypes and uncomfortable situations that are depicted. As super normal at the time, but looking at it in our modern lens, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. So um, let's take a really quick break and we'll come back and have an uncomfortable conversation. Okay. All right, AP, we got to have an uncomfortable conversation now. Okay. Are you okay? I can do better. I can right. do better. I know, we all can do better, and that's kind of the point of this, <laughs> the next conversation. I'll take the trash out the day before. Okay. Um, that's not what I'm talking about, but that's a good promise. Um, so we got to have an, an, an uncomfortable conversation about 80s movies and some of the stereotypes and um, not necessarily correct uh, ways of thinking about human beings. So 
Can you talk to us a little bit about, and this is true, not just of 80s movies, but movies in general. Um, so what are some of the uncomfortable stereotypes and tropes that we see in the Goonies? Well, I think as we started to watch the movie again, I was kind of taken aback by how the movie could have been a lot worse. Like by 80 standards, yeah, there's way, you're right. far better, far worse examples. There are examples on the list of movies that we're going to watch for this podcast yeah. that are going to be a whole lot worse. Um, yeah. yeah, this one but, was pretty light in comparison. But still a couple of problematic things. Um, first one is in the first like 10 minutes of the movie where, you know, it makes, uh, you know, stereotypical assumptions about, you know, different ethnicities um, interest in technology and gadgets and such. And just their aptitude, yeah. assuming that different ethnicities have different aptitudes for innovation and technology and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And it's rather just, uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and especially like in this exact moment in time. Yeah. Um, but kind of the two of the bigger ones are still like have been relevant probably forever in movies. Um, one is particularly in fat shaming. Uh, one of the main characters is named Chunk. Chunk. And Chunk. Like that, his best friends call him Chunk. And his first appearance on the screen, he has to do uh, a dance called the Truffle Shuffle, which isn't like like sweet eighties breakdancing moves. It's him lifting up his shirt and shaking his belly around while he makes kind of a a weird kind of like sloppy sound yeah. with his. And it's super uncomfortable. Words. It's super uncomfortable now because these these people are, are all his friends. And he even says, I don't want to do it. You know, he even protests yeah. and says, you know, don't make me that sort of thing. And they basically say, well, you can't come in or you can't be <laughs> yeah. friends with no, us. You can't come into the house. Yeah, you, you can't. Yeah, you, you got you got to do this. So it's it's not just about the fact that, you know, he looks a certain way, but it's also exploiting. Well, and they built on that through the whole movie, too. When yeah. When he goes into a refrigerator, like the, the the payoff for the joke is that there's a dead guy in there. But it's, you know, the minute and a half or whatever before that is him listening off in ranking mm -hmm. with excitement in his voice, the different ice creams that are in there. And even at the very end when he's reunited with his parents, like his parents greet him with a pizza. A Domino's pizza. Yeah. Specifically. Product placement, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just that... that that's the one that it's it's un, it's it's super uncomfortable to watch because it's so prevalent in the building of his character. Well, in I, our culture too, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like I know, like Marvel's been a huge thing culturally for about ten years, yep. and um, and I'm not a, like a Marvel aficionado, but I think it was one of the later Avenger movies where Thor, the god of freaking thunder, <laughs> um, you know, lets himself go because he's sad. And there's a lot of jokes around him being, you know, fat and, you know, his beard is unkept. And it's not, wow, we need to show compassion to Thor. It's, you know, he's fat. Let's laugh. laugh. Yes. Yeah. Um, Make him feel sad. And I, and I will say, and we've talked about this a little bit um, just in our own private conversation, the, there's inherent misogyny in a lot of these 80s movies. And it's certainly present here, too. Um, but it's surprisingly, um, not as prevalent as it is. in yeah. And, and, you know, Johnny Andy Newsom. ends up not with the guy that, uh, tries to look down her shirt and, you know, she slugs him in the face, you know, for trying to do that. Of course it's off camera, but, um, so it's surprisingly forward thinking for, for the time. Yeah. And when she says that she hit that dude in the face, um, who she does end up with Josh Brolin in his first movie, mm -hmm. speaking of Marvel, the guy who played Thanos. 
um, like like laughs and reverie, like, haha, you hit that guy in the face, not, oh, you don't treat a dude like that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's again, surprisingly forward thinking for, uh, for the time that it was, that it was uh, <laughs> for created for 1985, for sure, for sure. Um, so, I mean, those are just a few of them. And, and just as you said, it's not nearly as bad as it could have been and not even close to as bad as some other movies that were, that probably came around, came out around the it's, same time for it's sure. Only a matter of time before we talk about 16 candles and, that is on our list. <laughs> that is That's, that is in fact on our list because there's a lot. There's a lot of content there. <laughs> there might be a double length. It might be it might be a double feature. You're right. You're right. A um, lot of lot of things that we could talk about um, in a lot of these '80s movies. But to kind of wrap up our discussion of Goonies in this last little segment, there are just some plot holes at the end. There's a lot of things about the ending that really are uh, problematic at best and unrealistic at the least. So. Let's take a really quick break and we'll 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 talk about the ending of the Goonies. And here we are in our final segment talking about the Goonies. Right before the break, Boo mentioned some issues with plot specifically the ending specifically the ending of it perfect because we're at the ending of this episode look of the at podcast. that look at that it's like a story arc Ooh. that's wonderful okay so, so the plot issues that i have and feel free to jump in and argue with me at any point of this because i know sweet. you have you have specific thoughts and feelings about this too um for me it's about when they rejoin all the adults at the end that's when it just kind of goes off the rails in terms of reality. And yes, I was willing to suspend belief for most of the movie that, it, you know, this ragtag team of friends is able to go where professional explorers were not able to succeed and, and find one eye Willie and all that kind of stuff. I, I get that. Like I'm, I'm willing to do all that. You're stuff. on board. I was fine. I was where, fine. Did it, where did it break? It broke when they came back to the adults, because I think in my mind, there was a, a moment of, thank God they're back with the adults. Some shit's going to start making sense now. Right. So, mm. you know, playtime is over back to reality. But in fact, when they got back with the parents, that's when like, it just got stupid in terms of anything that would even <laughs> closely resemble the truth. So um, first of all, who are these, who are these people that were trying to get them to sign away their house and try to sign away their foreclosure and everything like chasing them down, at the sea what's happening like they just got reunited with their with their kids and they happen to be there with legal documents ready to repossess, repossess their house I just, uh, the whole neighborhood the excuse me the whole neighborhood yeah. and that's right um so that's uh, that's part of it too um then of course they find the marble bag full of jewels precious jewels yeah can we be real about what those jewels were? Because they what show they them call, what their value was. Yeah, so like they they're they're glistening in the sun in the mom's hand, and it's a great cinematic moment. It's a great visual. It's a, very pretty, but semi precious gemstones they're not worth that much. So like they're depicted as oh this is going to save not just our house but it's going to save the entire town from becoming a golf course. What? They're not that expensive. They're not. Maybe a nice vacation. Maybe save one house, but not the, what was it, 400 paychecks that they referred to? Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? The movie had to end that way. 
Because the kids had the all gone through. The movie had to end. The movie had to end. I'm well, not entirely sure it had to end that way. Yes, it did. It was a big budget 80s comedy. Okay. Where the kids had already gone through, you know, <laughs> you know the, the bank robbers who killed the person. And, you know, they went through the tunnel where the rocks fell, you know, blocks behind them. Natural consequences. Yeah. The bone piano, et cetera. <laughs> um, I and, was on, and I was on board with all yeah, of this. And and Tarantino didn't direct this movie. Richard Donner did. <laughs> that would be a very different <laughs> movie. Different, like all together. You know, oh you know, the kids would have been on the boat and would have been on fire with you know full of guns, but but it wasn't. So the movie the soundtrack would be better though if, yeah. if Tarantino did it. Let's the, be real. The movie had to end with that happy ending. Okay. And it was already long for comedy, mm-hmm. so just like um like structurally, it was like an hour and fifty seven minutes. So by the time you get to that that hour fifty four minute point, mm-hmm. you can't go back home and everyone sees their parents has that individual. Yes, you know it's all got to happen on the beach at one time. Yeah, okay, but they find this bag of semi precious gemstones, and that's enough for the dad to rip up the contract and say, "We're not signing today or ever," because there's only one mm-hmm. copy of that contract, right? There are no legal documents back at these people's offices or whatever, right? But they're shiny. So that, I have issues with that. And then just the way, like right before the credits roll, you know, here are jewels. I rip up a contract. There's a lot of cheering. And then a pirate ship just goes on a little jaunt. Yeah. The end. Brings it back home. Fade to black. That's it. Yeah. Done. And why is this a problem? It's a little abrupt. And I don't not. I, I guess there's just a lot of unanswered questions still. Hmm. I don't need those questions answered. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe I maybe I just do because, you know, maybe it's my own life experience, but I'm just like, well, what happened to their house? Did they ever fix the screen door? What's going on? Well, the answer I, is they didn't make a sequel. However, oh no. There was talk of being a sequel made with them as adults. Oh. But they couldn't figure out like a, a realistic story. How they got off the beach, they couldn't figure that out. Right. Well they walked. <laughs> they all had feet. <laughs> Um, where there was no realistic way for them to go. Oh, now we're worried about realism? Now we're worried about what? Well, people need realism here okay. in, in the in the 2000s. In the 2000s, for sure. Actually, what, what we're we, in... We are now, but when the movie was... Yeah, we are, of, it's, it's 2021 yeah. now, my dear. <laughs> yes, but this was 10 years ago when I never okay. thinking about it. So anyway, that's that's kind of where, where I am with, uh, with the, the, the plot holes, the gaping plot ravines, actually, at the end. They're not just holes, they are... <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I don't think about it as much because, you know, mm-hmm. I saw it at the theater. Okay. There's a, a certain amount of sentimentality I think I probably have for it that's not. Uh... Sure. Sure. So overall, what do we think? Does this movie hold up? We haven't really developed a rating scale, but. Uh, yes or no right now. Yes or no. Uh, does it hold up? I say yes. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a minimal amount of uncomfortable situations and a minimal amount of um, truly problematic situations. Um, if you're watching it with um, with younger kids, you don't have to hit pause to explain what's going on 47 times. You, you also have to don't do have three to, or four times. Yeah, you don't have to cover their eyes or make them go in the other room or anything. So I would say yes. I would say yes that it that it holds up. I agree. And that's going to wrap up our very first episode of Suburban Muse Podcast. I am Boo. With me, of course, is my partner in life and on the podcast, AP. 
And uh, music for this episode was by Kyleen King and the group A Cat Named Grandpa. Please make sure that you support them on every single platform out there. Their information is in the show notes. Tune in for our next episode where we talk about the Mel Brooks classic movie, Blazing Saddles. Thanks for listening.